This is Adam Francis, and you're listening to the Equipped Door Podcast on the E2E Radio Network. Stand by for a great show. Hey guys, welcome back for another great episode of Equipped to Endure Podcast, episode 405. A little giddy up. You like that, Robbie? Is that good? People aren't going to, our, our listeners are going to get it, that reference, it, aren't they? It didn't fit you, I don't think. I don't know. Well, hey, no, I never, you know, whatever. You got to try it. Adam, I'm going to go away. Have you ever saddled a horse before in your life? Yes, I have. Uh, I'm not talking I'm, about a, I'm not talking about a pony at the fair. I mean, an actual horse. Yes, a horse, Dan. I know what, okay. a, horse, I know what a horse is. <laughs> <laughs> They're delicious. I was going to say that I get you, I get you in the mounts, but then I was like, actually, Dan's probably a better grappler than me, so I'm not going to go there. Yeah. And nothing. Not, you're not going to respond. No, that's, that just sounded like a trap. Every time you give me a compliment, it's a trap. So I was, I was reviewing it carefully. I, I was giving I you a proper, out. I was giving you a proper compliment. I, so guys, you're listening to Dan Eastland. Uh, he's our other, you know, host, and then Mr. Robert Oliver, and I'm of course Adam Francis, and you're listening to the Equipped North Podcast. I'm going to start the whole show over again. I'm in a mood today, Robbie. I am. Oh no, 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 let's run with this. I am. I'm a, I'm a little. I'm a little. I'm a little. There's, there's a couple different things, and, and one of them is. Let's talk about tools. Sometimes people's comments on YouTube, uh, most times they're, they're they're off my back like you know water off a duck's back. Like I just don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before you go to ranting about this, <laughs> I, w- I do want you to remember how many times I've gotten myself in a tizzy over comments, and, and you've like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. I, someone I, I, yeah, someone talks ahead. trash but, about but my dog, and you make fun of me when I get upset. Well, no, I mean that's fine. Anyway. <laughs> 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 anyway, so so we did the spool tool video, right? And the spool tool comes with a lighter, right? And I've got like 50 million pe- – and I said, you know what would be cool? I, I'd like a, a survival version of this where I had like a fire steel and some and some fire cord on it. That would be awesome. You know, and maybe maybe something to spark the fire steel at the end of the uh, – at the end of the uh, the spool tool, like a little, little spark. That would be, a, that'd be a, a cool different version of it, right? And I must have got about 30 freaking comments of, oh, oh hey, Adam, I think the lighter is not for making fires. It's for uh, burning the end of the, the paracord. Dude, really, guys? Of course it's for making fires. That's what a lighter is for. It is also convenient that you can sear the end of your, uh, of your, of your paracord. Of course it is. But, I mean, wh- why would you uh, – I can't use that lighter on a spool tool to start a fire. I got to go to my fire steel in my backpack because that's just for, that's just for searing the ends of the paracord. I mean, I just – I look at that and like and, and of course one guy saw it and it's one of those gotcha gotcha moments that people think that they have, and then of course so that that comment had to be repeated thirty times and it's like are you guys so compartmentalized that you you know yes you, you sear the end of your five fifty cord but how many how many times are you gonna sear the end of of a hundred feet of five fifty cord I mean Robbie when you cut a piece of five fifty cord to throw up a, a a ridge line do you make sure the ends are sear are seared to lock them in place before you tie that around the tree. Mm. No. Yeah, because nobody freaking does that. You just have more time <laughs> on your hands and less crap to worry about than I do. Yeah. Oh, so I don't know why that. I mean, actually, that you know, that's just one thing that got on hey, on my nerves. And you know, you don't really need a lighter to seal the sear the ends. If you've got a ferro rod and some, <laughs> and sufficient skill, you don't even need a lighter. <laughs> then you can have a fire tool and a searing tool all in one. It'll save you six ounces. I don't know. I just carry my wife's flat iron with me to the woods. 
I mean, I mean, Robbie I, knows what a flat iron is. You know, I, I realized, Robbie, that I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, and I've already, you know, I've already gotten like two or three arguments with with the silly people about silly things. But am I wrong about this, man? I mean, are, 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 is that just so short sighted? That's like the same the, the same guy that says that is the well, the best knife. The best knife is the one you have on you when you need it. You know what I mean? It's like no, it's not. No, it's not. What if I had a what if I had a plastic? Getting so upset about you're wrong for getting so upset about something you already know about the general public. What's that? You know, the the common sense just isn't common. Yes. I'm saving this snippet of this show. So every time I get worked up and you start telling me I'm being a child, I can just replay this for you. Oh yeah, I'm totally being a child. I mean, I'll, I'll, I, you know, I'm going to regret this later because I'm going to get like 30 comments about this. Like, oh man, I sh- don't, don't podcast angry. Don't podcast. You know angry. what? This but will be cute. so cool, Dan. The first time in the history of the podcast that the hate mail is not directed at me. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> this is this is cathartic for me though. So I'm trying to I'm I'm releasing all the anger onto. Should- should we talk about whether or not you should twist the 550? Oh, God. When you put it, I know. Because, I know. Now, I get it with climbing ropes or if you're a longshoreman and yes. using braided cable. <laughs> so you read the comments too. But but 550, <laughs> when I'm stringing my tarp with 550 cord, I get that technically you are correct. You're not supposed to twist it. But I would counter with the minute amount of damage image you're doing on your 550 cord is just not worth a comment it isn't it's like it's like dude it's like i wanted to do a video robbie of like um me doing something i want to do a skit after reading these comments i want to do a skit and i wanted to meet me doing something in the woods and like a guy in a three-piece suit with like heavy horn rim glasses and a tie like standing over me with a clipboard like oh, excuse me you are uh, reducing the textile strength of that cord by 3.7%. Uh your technique is poor. You know what I mean? Like and like correcting like every uh the ang- you know your, your angle uh, on that fire steel is about 22 degrees. The most optimal angle is about 27.3 degrees to get the most, you know, th- you know, wide range of sparks to catch your tender up. You're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? And it's like to see to see ahead. how many angry lawyers we have in our listener base. <laughs> yeah, the last thing we need in the woods is more lawyers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's not even it's not even lawyers. It's like that kid in class that like you know raised his hand and hand to tell the teacher he forgot they forgot to sign a homework. Oh, excuse, yeah. excuse me, teacher, you forgot to sign our homework uh, sign our homework assignment tonight. And you just well, want to like you know just just kick that kid in the leg, you know, like, shut up, man. What are you doing? I want to go, well, I want to go play if, basketball today. I don't want to do my homework. If you know something we don't, there's us without sounding like a jackass. I mean, start it with, I didn't know if you knew this, and I granted it's only a matter of minor percentages, but here's what I learned. <laughs> no, the thing, the thing is, man, when it comes down to it, man, it's like those people aren't out there to teach anybody anything. They're out there to feel superior because they, they, they caught a simple – like out of out of context statement, and you know it happens all the time. But I, I really do like guys. A lighter is to start a fire. You need a fire to sear the end of your fire cord. If you want to get technical, if you want to pay, <laughs> if you want to play, if you want to play technical, Timmy, we can do that. I mean, it's just it's it's like I hear you. That is why the, the whoever designed the spool tool threw a lighter on there, so it was a kind of a self-contained, you know, you know, paracord apparatus. But how often, unless you're using that thing to just as a business to sit there and make paracord bracelets, which I doubt you would be doing either, 
it's like, you know, how often do you really sear the end of your paracord when you're cutting little pieces? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you, you do stop and sear your paracord before you throw up a ridgeline knot, you know, and throw up your tarp. I, I've never, now, I've never I seen anybody do it. And the blind rage. That, but the, what's left on the roll, I sear it before I put it away. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of my paracord that I have in my 25-foot hanks that I usually carry because that's my, that's my go-to size. When I'm out in the field, I might have a 50 or 100. I mean, it is seared, and I use it over and over again. That's why it's seared, so it, you know, it holds in those, those cords. But, I mean, it's not like you're going to be coming out and searing it every time you cut off a 5-inch piece. You now, this, I mean? this horse was beaten dead during the Blind Rage segment, brought to you by Spool Tool. <laughs> <laughs> check, out, check out Tactical 550, who sent me a Spool Tool. Actually, the Spool Tool was, was pretty cool. I did like it. I did like it. I, I, just, I would just, you know, it is funny, man, cause, because I, I went and grabbed the lighter, and of course I didn't have a mini lighter for the video, and of course that lighter was dead because, you know, big lighters always die on me. Um, so. You have the worst luck. I do. I, I, do I not? I I have. So bought, your your Bix always fail on you, dude. I have bought a case of Bix, like the like the three pack case, and they've all been dead. Like still in the plastic, and they've all been Dan, dead. Dan, yeah. I could take a Bix and light cigarettes for with it for a month, then go on the scene of the show, uh, Deadliest Catch, stand up there on the bow of a boat in the middle of a typhoon <laughs> with the same Bix and light cigarettes the whole episode. Then take that same bit, carry it to Adam, and the first time he flicks it, it'd be dead as a doornail. That's right, man. Every time. Every time. Okay. Okay. I Are think, you feeling better now? I think it's. Uh, I think it's my. To... I think I like spit on a gypsy woman or something, and she cursed me. I <laughs> like the spleen. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I don't want angry comments from gypsy women. <laughs> I never spit on a gypsy woman. I just heard it. In the, I heard it in a comedy section one time. I don't. Know. My life sucks bad enough you without curses. All right. <laughs> <laughs> gosh alright you know uh, what I, I feel right. th this is why I love this podcast I feel so mm -hmm. amazing now I feel like you know something has been released and, and the anger is gone and I and I now I probably need to apologize to the, to the, that one guy who's probably crying in the corner now because he sears his end of his paracord because he's an efficient effective machine I so. just don't understand why you judge me so harshly because <laughs> it's so easy <laughs> That's what my dramatic falls was earlier, Dan. I always sear mine, but I didn't want to disagree with him. I didn't want him cut. You do taking not. It out you do me. not. I have seen you throw up a ridge line before. You do not sear it, you liar. All right, guys. Equip the Door Podcast, of course, is brought to you by Dogwood Custom Knives. Check out Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com. Sales at USA Made Blades, Edgeworks Online. And what's the last one, Dan? Uh, Arizona Custom Knives. I just wanted, I knew who it was. I just wanted to get you to talk. Uh, you know, I appreciate that. I was like, you know, like I was just, you know, passing it to it, you. Hey, it's hard to get a word in edgewise with you today. Oh, uh, yeah, you'll probably be right. I probably need to, I probably need to slow down and just, you know, completely restart the podcast. But you know what? I'm not doing that. We're, we're gonna have fun today. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also buy Live Fire Gear. Go check out LiveFireGear.com. A great amount of retailers, guys. You should be able to find it in your local stores or that gadget store or camping outdoor store that you usually buy. And so when you're trying to get that free shipping and you, you know want to add that extra 10 bucks, go buy some Live Fire, uh, either 550 Fire Cord or the Live Fire 10s. And if your local retailer is not carrying it, send them an email, tell them about Live Fire, and say, hey, you need to get this stuff. Make Speaking of, Adam, you need some more 10s at your house. I, I, bear, I You know, I am like out of 10s in, in Fire I know. Right now. <laughs> I know. That's why you need to get some more. Hey, Dan, I've got some. Yeah. <laughs> Guess where they came from. <laughs> 
you know, I, you know, before, before, you know, the, the whole 550 fire court and everything. And, and when I was just, you know, friends with live fire and I wasn't actually part of a uh, part of it, uh, I used to have it on me all the time. And then as soon as I started getting like, you know, stuff for samples and giveaways and, and having supply here, cause my wife, you know, sells it, you know, all of a sudden it started disappearing. Started disappearing because I've got friends. I've got awesome friends who really like those products. Well, I thought you had just moved it, and then after I went through your desk, I realized you're actually out of it. <laughs> hey, hey, Adam. Yes. Before you get too negative on that, every time we're in camp and you don't have some, <laughs> don't not let you borrow mine. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, Todd. You see, Todd. You see what I have to deal with here. Oh, oh, you can't talk to Todd yet. I haven't introduced him. <laughs> Nobody's allowed to know he's on the line yet. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and do that? We actually had a special show today, um, and uh, we have a guest. Are, are, are we doing – I don't think we should even do our normal talk about the videos and everything else. I uh, think that, Let's I think see how just... Todd does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, so y'all remember Eleanor's where we went for Blade Show last year? You know, behind yeah, I'll never forget it. Behind it the freezer door? It was amazing. Well, Todd is one of the partners uh, that has uh, Local 3, Mustn Turners, uh, Common Quarter, Eleanor's, um, Chef, Charcuterie, Outdoorsman, Sportsman, uh, Bourbon Aficionado, and actual friend of me, Todd Mustn. Wait a minute. Wait wow. a minute. Those, I didn't get the Bourbon Aficionado earlier. Yeah. Oh, no? How how did we skip that part, Dan, when we weren't going to the restaurant and all? Well, because I know how you are. <laughs> yeah, I got to keep something in the back pocket. Gotcha. gotcha. Welcome to the show, Mr. Musman. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Uh, feel free to correct uh, whatever I just said. I just kind of made it up as I went along. No, uh, all, all those things are true, even the part about uh, us being friends. <laughs> so the check cleared then <laughs> indeed uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and what uh, a charcuterie well, is okay well oh, charcuterie first All right. well I mean that's basically the, the art and craft of, of salting, smoking and curing meat for preservation for later use um, it's the art and craft of the cold kitchen I mean it's, it's a very wide and vast subject that uh, encompasses everything from country ham to bacon to salamis and sausage to jerky, uh, even to pâtés and things like that. So, um, that's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool subject and, uh, an ancient art. And, uh, by cold kitchen, you mean either low heat or just, uh, air curing? Um, well, yeah, it can, it can be that, um, there's definitely, we're going to talk about both, uh, hot and cold, uh, methods to cure and smoke, uh, meats today. All right. Very cool. And uh, you, uh, I guess you started out at your grandfather's deli. Would that be uh, fair well, to I say? A little about myself. I, I grew up in Boston, uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, really. And my grandfather had, did have a Jewish deli in Boston. So when I was a little boy, I grew up around all this kind of stuff, um, you know, learned how to eat, you know, tongue and cured salmon and smoked whitefish and all the, all the traditional, you know, Jewish foods. So I always had a, an affinity for it. All my grandparents were great uh, bakers and cooks. So, uh, and my and my grand one of my grandfather on the other side was a really great outdoorsman, sportsman, and uh, started a gun club uh, before I was born. So I grew up around, in and around a gun club, and you know we did a lot of fishing and, and things like that. Um, and we'd always prepare the fish. So I guess I got my love for food from my grandparents. 
Um, then I went on to um, Ithaca College, uh, and I was an outdoor rec major. I did a 96-day expedition in the Rocky Mountains uh, with the National Outdoor Leadership School, and um, that was a pretty incredible experience in and of itself, but it was really where I um, became a new how to become a chef. Um, you know, when you end up with a, a big bag of dehydrated tomato and, and um, you know, all the dehydrated stuff that you get, uh, and you can end up making, you know, lasagna and um, focaccia and pizza in the field, uh, baking cornbread, things like that. I had people fighting to be in my group. In my cook group, so uh, it was it was pretty fun time. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on one second, Todd. Dan. Yes. Why hasn't this man been camping with us before? Because uh, yeah. I... hey, Dan, you're getting another mark. All right. <laughs> you, you've, been, you've been marked. Okay. We we and... will we will surely get together. And do that. <laughs> I know how you guys are. You know, like Robbie was my friend, and then you took him away from me. You know, I, I keep a little something back for myself. You know what it hey, is, Dan. Dan? You, Dan wants to be the cook of the group. That's what it is. He doesn't want anybody else to come in, you know. Yeah, yeah, forget you. Poof, that's my gig. What, you think I need some professional coming in and showing me up? I mean, uh, cooking is all I got. Uh, Without that, well, I'm just a fat like guy. Think, Dan, I'd like to think that I, I've mentored you over the years on, on uh, many aspects of your cooking and uh, culinary prowess. Oh, I pass off everything you've taught me as my own. <laughs> Todd, I, what I want to know is when Todd cooks in camp, how much crazy glue is needed? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, first week he had one of my chef's knives, he cut himself. So there. Oh, yeah. the, okay. the, the one with the flat blade had no rock, no belly to the blade. Oh, it was a prototype, buddy. He was yeah. Hey, you know, I'm learning. <laughs> you know, that's why you send them over, you know? I, I, try, I test them for you. I cut myself with them and everything. Hey, better to cut your fingers than mine. Indeed, yes. <laughs> yes. So I, I guess anyway, after after I got done with my Knowles expedition, I, I came back on fire to just, just to cook. And, 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 you know, I was voracious with learning everything I could about every aspect of, of cuisine. And uh, I went directly to the Culinary Institute of America uh, after Ithaca. And um, I spent a couple of years there studying intensive uh, culinary arts and ended up down here in Georgia uh, on my externship from school, uh, 95, 96. And then I, uh, I returned to go finish and promptly returned uh, after I graduated. And I've been here, a uh, resident in Georgia now for, shoot, long time, since March of 97. So quite a few years. That's awesome. And then you met Dan, and then it was all downhill from there, right? <laughs> yeah. Y'all uh, know what it's like. That came in uh, <laughs> the studio. It was a restaurant I used to work in when I first moved back. And uh, actually, Dan, Dan had me and, uh, and a, close, a close chef uh, friend of mine cook best 40th birthday in, in their home. Uh, yeah. In it was a really cool experience, and uh, I think that's where we really became close. You want to talk about an incredible meal. I think we started at 6. And the last dessert, of course, was served at what midnight? Oh man, it was a it was a marathon, bro. I think it was nine. I think it was nine courses, paired wines, uh, and our old kitchen had a long counter that went down one side of the kitchen, so everybody could sit at the counter and watch the two of them cook. I, I still have fantasies about that meal. Yeah, we, well, we finished, I think we finished with a bunch of absinthe too, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes. 
We did. You know, you know, Robbie, I don't think I've ever eaten that well in my life. How about Me you? either. I know. I'm, I'm, in, I'm insanely jealous right now, and I haven't even had breakfast. Oh, well, man. But, uh, <laughs> Lacho will be here before you know it, brother. Man, my, my favorite course out of that mayo meal was fried quail eggs on French, French toast points with bacon-cured foie gras. Okay, <laughs> well, before Dan gets the opportunity to gloat anymore, <laughs> maybe we should take the opportunity, especially Adam and I, who don't have talk. I, I think, yeah, I think the end of that dish, Dan, was nanny nanny boo boo. You know I, mean? uh, yeah. uh, I thought that was just implied. <laughs> so, so to me, tell us so, what the the whole charcuterie thing, and, and I know Dan is big into this, and and. It amazes me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. It, it's 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 kind of like watching to me, uh, or or I guess the f- finale to a magician's trick when I get to eat something that's been cured correctly, and you know in this day and age it's harder to find that. Yeah. Well, uh, well you know what, Robbie, you do, you need to tell them that you do you do judge a culture by their cured meats. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that that, 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 that is. <laughs> <laughs> Every culture has a version of a cured meat in some way, shape, or form. And, and Robbie, you nailed it when you said, uh, like a magic, magic trick. It, it, it is the closest thing in the culinary world that we have to alchemy. You know, uh, the ancient art of taking like a one, one metal and turning it into something else. Um, you know, by just applying uh, uh, some salt and some smoke and some thyme, we can take a fresh piece of meat and convert that into something that we can take with us and sustain us and make us happy because it tastes great. Well, Todd, uh, the way you're saying that it almost sounds like this is something that uh, the average person could learn to do. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I want to, I want to start off real quick, you know, before we get too deep into it and say that, you know, there are definite safety hurdles involved when doing this kind of thing. Um, you know, there, there, there's bacteria, uh, that grows at a very, very fast rate uh, while, while doing some of these processes we're going to talk about. Uh, and there's certain steps that need to be taken to prevent that bacteria from getting into a dangerous level. Um, so you must follow great sanitation. If I could only give one piece of advice to the listeners is that sanitation is king. Everything needs to be clean. Everything from your hands the board, the knives, the grinder, uh, whatever you're going to come in contact, whatever's going to come in contact with that, that product needs to be extremely clean and sanitized. Now, are, and, are we talking just, you know, soap and water or, you know, I do some canning and, you yeah. know, you have to boil things to, to get them properly sanitized. And how how well, stringent are we talking about? That, the reason for that, Raleigh, is that, you know, and, and this is the same thing with cured meat like sausage, is that, we're trying to avoid um, um, botulism. Okay. So, so say you were talking to two rednecks and a wannabe Southerner, and they wanted oh, to try, gee, try oh, <laughs> and they wanted to try something at home. Uh, what yeah. are some of the consider like at home considerations that okay. somebody needs to think about? So you know, really at home, we're talking about there's several different styles, all right, of sausage. When you when you think about the world of sausage. I'm going to run through them real quick. You got fresh sausage, like breakfast sausage, bulk breakfast sausage. It's just basic ground pork, salt, pepper, and, and herbs and spices. Okay. You, you mix that up, put it on a pan, griddle it up. You're done. Okay. doesn't have a long, long shelf life to it though. 
because there's no real preservative in it. It's a fresh sausage. Then you have, uh, you know, and that could be go for case sausage too. Things like Italian sausage are fresh, no, no preservatives. And then you got uh, basic, uh, like things like a kielbasa, like a Polish sausage. That is a cured and smoked and fully cooked product. So you take a kielbasa out of the package, you can slice it up and eat it right out of the package. It's fully cooked, ready to eat product. Uh, it does have a little bit of curing agent in it. The curing agent that's in there is called nitrite. And we can get into a whole separate thing on nitrites and the controversy about them, but really it's, it's extremely safe stuff. Only one thing on planet earth will turn cured meat pink and that's nitrite. Okay. Naturally occurs. It's a mineral. Uh, your body produces it. It comes from uh, seawater and, and unrefined salt and things like that. And that's how you get pink cured meat. Uh, it not only turns the meat color and makes it appetizing to look at, it actually gives it a better flavor. So you think about what a regular salted prosciutto like cured ham tastes like. There's nothing in a prosciutto except for a ham off of a pig that's rubbed down in natural sea salt. That is it. And then it's allowed to age and dry out some. And that concentrates the flavor and you get a, a, this wonderful magical transformation from raw pork to okay so at home you know the, the simplest thing to start with is the fresh sausages you know um you, you can go back to to um old methods of curing uh they didn't have these they didn't have refined nitrite they didn't have a special cure mix that you can just add to your seasonings uh in italy it's by law you're not allowed to add nitrites in the making of a prosciutto or a parma ham. Uh, so how does it turn pink? Well, because it's also by law that you must use sea salt collected from the local shore. And, around that, and that has the nitrites in it naturally? Unre unrefined sea salt contains natural nitrites that can produce that cured meat. Now the sea salt I buy at the grocery store, that's, that's refined? It will. It, well, it depends on what you're buying. If you just if you buy that stuff like in the cylinder, uh, and you you know you look at you look at it, and it you know it should say on there if it's if it's refined or not. Uh, if it says natural, uh, unrefined, it's something like a like a fleur de sel, like the fancy gray French sea salts and things like that. Anything that comes from a natural ocean coastal um, salt bog is going to be good to go. Um, you know, most like your kosher salt, like a box of kosher salt, that's not good enough. If you just try to salt meat with that, it's going to dry it out and it'll turn gray. It won't, it won't get that beautiful pink cured color that you're looking for. So, so that's, that's, wanna... actually, that's actually pretty interesting. I didn't know that. So you, you, your, your salt has to be really, really specific. Yeah, the salt, it is specific. And, you know, I know Dan sent me, um, a, a, an array of questions, you know, to kind of talk about uh, the answers to. And, you know, I was looking through them and as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, you know, you guys want to talk about really, you know, being it's equipped to endure. Uh, how do you apply some of this to an outdoor situation or a survival I'll, situation? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the truth, Todd. Probably our listeners, 95 of them, 95% just want to know how to make bacon. <laughs> that, that would probably cut. That would probably make everybody happy. 
Uh, see, we were going to, I was going to string that along till the end of the podcast. Now, if, if yeah, it tells because... us how to make bacon, everybody's just going to quit listening. Well, no, uh, well, no. Hey, guys, the bacon recipe is coming at the end. You got to listen to the whole podcast, all right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, I can give some great references as well. Um, there, there are, I, I, I spent some time out at Iowa State University. I went there three times for some continuing education and advanced meat curing science. And so I, I do have a ton of information running around my, my uh, empty head. And, um, but I've got some good reference materials that are, that are easy to understand. Uh, and, and you can get these books on Amazon. And you guys, you know, we pick them up. They don't cost very much at all. These guys retail out at like, you know, between 12 and $20, depending. And it's a series of books. Uh, no, you can get that from Dogwood Custom Knives. It'll come in a package. It runs about $35 MSRP. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean the, the author do, do you want to you want the author's name or uh, yeah okay so so these guys uh it's it's a i think it's a father and son team it's uh stanley and adam marianski m-a-r-i-a-n-s-k-i uh nice polish boys yeah but uh they have they have several books um there's one that you guys particularly would really like and probably should pick up first. It's Meat Smoking and Smokehouse Design. Great book, uh, loaded with ideas on how to build your own smokehouse and everything from the most simple, like, you know, um, you know, out in the field, uh, a little teepee style, all the way to, you know, where you want to build a real brick smokehouse on your farm or something like that. So that is a great book. Then the next one is Polish Sausages. And the cool thing about this book is that uh, it's all about all the different, just the different Polish and Eastern European style sausages. And these two guys came across an old government document that was in Poland. They did a lot of research in Poland. And they came across this government document from like 1959. And it was the original government recipes. The government regulated the recipes, exactly how they're supposed to be made. And every butcher shop had to follow this governmental guide. And so these guys got it and they, they, pu- they publish it. The, every recipe in the book, they published the original 1959 guideline coupled together with the modern day recipe. Uh, now, is, is that, was that a tradition thing or is that, was that for health reasons? I know like it when was, I was in Italy, it was like the same thing when they made pizza in, like, in uh, Naples. It's oh, like it had yeah. to be. It had to be a specific type of tomato, a specific type of you know flour, yep. cheese, and everything. Both, Adam. That's that is uh, to protect the integrity of the product as a national pride thing. Like in Italy, they call it a, a DOCG designation. It's a Department of Origin de Controle, and it's a it's a governmental control that they put on and say you got to use this kind of flour and this kind of tomato and this kind of yeast to make your pizza dough or whatever. Same thing with the Polish sausage. It was exactly and it's to protect the, the heritage and culture, but also for, for safety reasons. Because back in the day in 1959, yeah, we had refrigeration and things like that, but it wasn't as advanced as it is today. And they were still using some older techniques back then to do these things. Um, so then the, the big daddy book that these guys wrote is, um, and I, I have it as well. I, I own all the books, but, uh, this one is a big thick one. It's about 700 and some pages and it, and it costs like 17 bucks. And it's, the, it's, you're going to buy only one of their books. This is the book to buy. And it's like the home home. It's called home production of, um, 
sausage and uh, curing or something like that. You can find it. If you look up Mariansky on Amazon, you'll, you'll, you'll find all the books will pop. This one is a green cover on it. It's, it, it's comprehensive. It covers almost everything in the other books. Um, production it, of quality meats and sausage. Yes, I, I believe that's the name. I don't have the book in front of me because it's at the restaurant. Oh, Robbie it, just Googled it. <laughs> yeah, it's the one guide. It's the one guide that we that we tend to lean on. When I went to Iowa State, um, I brought a couple of these books with me and I gave them to a PhD in meat science. And I asked him, I said, please, you know, vet these for me. Am I am I am I screwing up by using these books as my guidelines in my restaurants? And he brought them back. He hadn't seen the books and he was blown away. He was writing down the names and said, these guys are on time. You know, they know what they're doing. And if you follow their instructions, um, you're going to you're going to be pretty good. So I definitely recommend to all your readers to pick up at least the the, the comprehensive uh, one and um, and to kind of dive into it. There's a lot of technical stuff. But don't let it overwhelm you. You know, um, you know when you add smoke to meat, you got to look at it and a bunch of different reasons and there are a bunch of different, you know, the whys of why you smoke meat. First and foremost is flavor, taste, and aroma. It just improves the flavor, taste, and aroma of the product. Uh, everybody loves smoked bacon. Everybody loves ham and sausage, things like that. It improves the look. It gives a nice color. You're looking for that deep golden you know, burnished kind of like brownish color, uh, that, that says, you know, delicious, <laughs> it, it automatic, uh, longevity. It basically, you know, smoke slows down the spoilage of fat. It prevents rancidity here in the deep South. Uh, our breakfast, our, our breakfast sausage, our country style, like Southern country style sausage is super basic stuff. It's pork with a ton of black pepper and sage, and a lot of smoke added to it and salt, obviously, uh, kind of goes without say. The reason we put a lot of black pepper and sage and add a lot of smoke is because all three of those things cover rancidity. And in the South, back in the day when a farmer would slaughter his pig, he couldn't guarantee that the temperature wasn't going to creep up to, you know, 75 degrees in the middle of the, you know, the fall or the winter. Because I'm telling you, it does here in Georgia. You everyone, you know, if you don't live in the South, you, you it was that way. It was seventy-two here yesterday. Exactly, thirty-two oh, here today. Foof! It was yeah. twenty-three degrees the other day. <laughs> but so that that spike in temperature, when you know you kill a hog and you hang it up in the tree to kind of to kind of like you know go through rigor mortis and and let the meat convert from you know from meat from from flesh to meat because uh, that takes a little time I, too. I want to come back to that too because that's something I learned from you from processing my game. Yep, I, we can talk about that too. Um, it has to sit for a little bit. So if you get spikes in temp, you know, you're going to get that rancidity. Now let's talk about that right quick. Is if something is rancid, that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's going to make you sick. Rancidity is a perception of aroma only. So it can't, if something, if someone goes, Ooh, that's rancid. That's really just the oils and the fats in that product are starting to break down. And it produces a very distinctive aroma, but it won't make you sick. Well, and the the letting the letting the game go through rigor mortis. Mm -hmm. I, I had had no idea about that, but you had taught me about how it changes the it changes the structure of the meat. Yeah, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of sugar in the, in the flesh. There's a lot of glycogen, is what it's called. And you know, it's like when you work out and you get sore the next day. You know, animals always running around. It's always kind of working out especially if you're hunting it 
if it, if it took off on you and ran and you had to track it, uh, things like that, you're going to pump a lot of glycogen into the meat because it's, that's the energy, right? Well, you have to let that stuff break down and, and kind of dissipate through the muscle. Uh, fresh raw meat is, is like when it's first killed and it's still flesh, it's, it's running like a seven, like a neutral pH. Okay. And once it goes through rigor mortis and some of that glycogen kind of burns off for lack of better terminology, keep it simple. Um, it, the pH will drop some, and the meat goes a little more acidic. So you're going to drop down to like 6.5 into the, or close to like a five point, you know, nine, something like that. And then you're ready to go, but it's, there's, there's uh, Yes, what sir. kind of time from from the point of of uh, killing an animal yep. and hanging him up? What kind of time frames do we have before that process should have? It uh, really it really is dependent upon the size of the animal, and uh, so like if you kill some squirrels, I mean, really, you know, you you can you can skin them and and gut them and and get them in a pot pretty dang quick. Um, you know, you kill a mess of squirrels and and you want you want to hang them up overnight. That's great. That'll, that'll tenderize the meat some. It'll definitely won't be quite as chewy. Uh, the bigger the animal, like say, say a deer, you know, you get a, you get a yearling doe, it's going to be pretty tender meat. Uh, you hang that, you hang that doe for five to seven days in a cooler. So you got to skin it. You don't even have to really skin it. You could leave the hide on, I suppose, but you can gut them and skin them and hang them in a cooler. If you can do that, if you have the, the facility, uh, five to seven days will make so much of a world of difference on how good that meat eats. And, It'll blow your mind. And being down south, you know, you said hang it in a cooler. You you still have to be aware of. Yes, yeah, so, you know, fresh meat's going to spoil on you real quick down here. Like we don't really have enough cold days, even up to the end of deer season down here, to actually do that. I mean, near the end, we did. You know, we had a we had a few deer we could hang overnight uh, at at camp uh, near the end of hunting season this year, but. Uh, mostly what I do is I have, I have a chest cooler, a uh, chest freezer that I converted to a cooler. Uh, and I used to actually use this box to, to dry cure salamis and meats and things. And when I was doing a real, when I was doing it heavy and, um, since I, my, my duties kind of changed within my business, I, I have not been doing full production as of late. So I took that cooler down to my camp and, uh, when we kill a deer, we basically, We'll, we'll skin them and take the meat off the bone right away, but we'll lay it on trays and let it go through that process in the cooler before we cook it usually or, or touch it. And once you're off the bone in smaller portions, that process goes a little bit faster. And, you know, if you wait a couple days uh, in the cooler, it's going to be much better than now, if you what is What is the temperature range for that? What, what are we oh, looking for? Oh, refrigeration, refrigeration temperatures. So, I mean, okay. I'd, want, I'd want to have at least, you know, 40 degrees or less. Meat okay. doesn't freeze until protein like meat, like, like red meat won't freeze until 26 degrees. Is that because of the salt content in the? Yeah, it's, it's all, the, it's all of the, the other stuff that's in it already. Um, you know, meat, it's not, it's not just water. There's more going on there, right? So it does, freezes at a lower temperature than water would. So you keep it, you know, high thirties, low, uh, high thirties and just 38 degrees is a perfect cool temperature. And then just let it stand for three, five days. And you're going to see a real difference in the texture of the meat. Absolutely. So, you know, and that's, that's what they call just, that's just the initial aging process. All beef, like all beef cattle in this country, when it gets killed, 
they'll basically skin them and, and split the carcass so you get a side of beef and they'll hang those sides for two weeks minimum usually. Um, it takes about two weeks of time for that cow to go through that process because it's so big and muscular. And that's, a, that's the, uh, the country standard? That would be, that's about standard for most beef cattle. And, and that's, that's what I'm saying is from the time of slaughter to the time that they're cutting like, you know, the ribeye out of it to Crowback to send to you to Costco or wherever you're going to go buy it mm-hmm. is two weeks. Um, then you, I'm sure you guys have heard about dry aged steaks. That's when they're going to take those, those subprimal cuts, like the whole loin or the, or the whole strip loin or the whole ribeye or the whole tenderloin on the bone. And they're going to dry cure. Not, not, I'm sorry, I take that back. They're going to dry age. There's no curing involved. They're not adding anything. The rooms are uh, of the proper temperature and humidity to release moisture from the meat without drying it out completely. And the bacterial uh, effect of of that breakdown, it's basically like a controlled rotting, if you will. That can go from anywhere from 20 days all the way up to like 100 days now, beyond that. If, so, I, if I get a piece of like a really nice steak from a butcher or grocery store or something like that, mm-hmm. I've heard that you can poke holes in a piece of uh, in Tupperware. Yeah. Set the meat in there and put it in your refrigerator and you dry. can you can dry age it that way. Is that is that just I, is that just messing around or does that I, actually No, I think you're kind of messing around there. I mean again, you know, you're these like I've I've been to an actual dry aging facility. It's a it's a cooler that's set at a very specific temperature and humidity to prevent mold growth. They have black lights on at all times inside the cooler, also to retard mold growth and things like that. So they have very controlled environments to do this in. And what happens is the meat forms this dark rind on the outside. It's called a palatal. And you have to trim that away before you can actually cut the steaks and start to eat, huh. uh, start to cook. But when you, if you ever have the chance or opportunity to indulge in a properly dry age steak do it because it'll blow your face off so guys i'm thinking we'll go to local three for blade show this year <laughs> and uh we're gonna I require you dry steaks if you guys come there. I, I know I'll, I'll... i had a i was in new i was in vegas at the new york new york and they have a, a aged steak restaurant there and they're almost oh, yeah. like blackened um, yes it looks black that's the yeah. on the outside and that's the drying process it was it was amazing it was it was different than anything it's hard to explain it's different than anything that i normally get so you know i i just went i just did a pheasant hunt the other day and this is this kind of reminds me what you just said reminds me of you know back in europe in the day like foul game birds you're talking if you can snare a bird or if you could kill a bird if you you know had a weapon to do it um and you were out uh they would hang a pheasant by upside down by the legs uh in like literally in a closet or like in a barn at room temperature okay for days and 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 let that thing they wouldn't even gut them they, i'm talking feathers on everything hang up for days and it it is a process by which you're aging the meat and tenderizing the meat and you're creating a a specific flavor in the meat that is desirable um but nowadays you know, if you did that, someone would flip out. They, they, yeah. They'd say, you're out of your mind. Like, you know, you're going to kill somebody. You're not. As long as you don't open up the bird, 
and you don't expose it to the, whatever bacteria is all over you and your hands and whatever else you're going to touch inside there, that's when things start to go south. All right. The, the bird doesn't have any foreign bacteria inside of it until you open it up. Hmm. So if you, if you were to kill a bird, you could hang it at your camp for a day or two. And then I, I did it with my turkey in the spring. I hung my turkey in a tree. The, the, I killed it in the evenings. I didn't feel like dealing with it at that night. Hung it in a tree. Went hunting the next day, all day. Came back at, you know late in the afternoon. And I took care of my bird. I plucked it and gutted it and did the whole nine. And that thing ate tremendous. It was beautiful. Dan? Yes? Before you start requesting aged steaks, uh, don't don't forget to remind him about the boudin. Oh, that's right. Uh, uh, that's, we are, we are overdue for some boudin. Bobby? Say again, sir? Did you get that boudin last time? No, I did not. Oh, but Dan was just talking about it. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I got oh, some. Oh, uh, Dan's the, always talking about something that he got that, you know, it's awesome. No, Andy Roy that I used to apprentice with was from Louisiana. So when I was finishing up my apprenticeship, I got some boudin for him. Yeah. And it was, it was absolutely amazing. Okay. Uh, my family, Todd, is from Shreveport and Slidell. Okay. And uh, so that's something I don't get up here in North Carolina. Well, what, what, oh, is, yeah. what is boudin? I don't even know what that is. Well, I prefer the dark. The dark like red blood want, sausage. You I like, like the the blood? Yeah, I like the blood sausage. Uh, but it, it's it's several. There's several types, Adam, of of boudin, and it's it's basically a, a French Cajun sausage. And this he did the white for us, and it was just amazing. So, Adam, the big deal with the boudin is that it's it's a very high percentage of rice added to the sausage. Okay. So you you basically. Um, with a with a white with a boudin blanc with a white boudin, you're gonna have uh, pork meat and pork liver, and um, a lot of rice. And you basically are gonna cook some of the pork and uh, with with some vegetables and stuff to make like a broth. And then you're gonna cook the rice in that broth, and uh, and use the rice and a little bit of the broth and you know the ground pork and liver and all the spices, whatever spice you want to use. You you grind all that together pretty fine. And stuff it into casings and poach it, and it it's out of sight. It's, yeah, it's great. It's uh, the other thing that uh, I've told them about is the, um, for lack of a better term, the face loaf you used to do. Oh yeah, the head head cheese. Oh man, you know, another thing that you know you guys have to think about is you know what can you get nowadays cheaply, and you know what there ain't much left out there to get cheap. Um, and to, so to feed your family or, you know, make, make these kinds of recipes. But, um, my, my pork farmer is a good friend of mine and, uh, Tommy, Tom, yeah, Tommy Searcy, uh, Dan has known him for even longer than I have actually. And, uh, but Tommy and I have become the best of friends and he delivers pork to me every week and he brings me a couple a few pork heads, pig heads and gives them to me for nothing. Uh, you know, that they, they're really cheap to buy if you're gonna if you want to buy it, but then you put a, a pig head in a pot and boil it, you know, just simmer it real gentle for a few hours and uh with some vegetables and things. You make a you make a great broth, great soup broth, but then you don't understand how much meat is on a pig's head between I mean, you know, everything on a pig is edible besides the oink and the bones. So the skin, the snout, all the jaw meat, the tongue. 
everything on and about that head is edible. And when you take it all and, you know, kind of mince it all up fine and toss it with some vinegar and spices and pack it into molds and let it let it set up because there's a lot of gelatin naturally in there. Uh, then you can slice it and you get head cheese. That's what they call head cheese. And now, it was house. Now, I was fixing to ask, now, are you making, because you add the vinegar, that kind of makes it south, right? Right. The vinegar. If you do it without the vinegar, it's it's just strictly known as head cheese. That's, yes. If Getting technical about it, yeah. I like a little bit of vinegar. I like, I'll add a little bit of chopped, like sour pickles and a lot of parsley and some capers to mine. Um, you know, I just, I think the acidity, because that meat is so dang rich and, right. and heavy, uh, that, that the acidity really brightens it up and the fresh herbs brighten it up. And it's, it's so nice to eat. We make a sandwich out of that stuff with, with, you know, spicy mustard on some dark bread. And I mean, that's, that's the, you know, I'm, I'm a good Jew, but man, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, just going to ask, that's not a very kosher recipe, my friend. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I get accused of that shit all the time. I mean, hey, if God tasted it, he'd forgive him. <laughs> and for anybody listening who's not familiar with head cheese, uh, it's a terrine. It's, it's like a meat jelly. Yep. Uh, so when when he's talking about having it on a sandwich, and, and he, he started off talking about in a pot boiling it down, there's actually gelatin added in at one point and it kind of binds it together kind of like a loaf well yeah you know what if if it with a pig's head you don't add any gelatin robbie at all it's really? like yeah because um the so all the skin all pork skin is loaded it, the skin itself and it, when you scrape away the fat is pretty much pure protein and there's a lot of collagen there you know you hear okay. like the the ladies take collagen for their hair and nails and you take or people take pill, like collagen pills to like improve their skin. All you got to do is eat some, some pig skin. It's not a big deal. <laughs> That's uh, why I have such great skin is crackling. Co- collagen converts to gelatin under, under long, slow, moist cooking. It's okay. exactly the same thing that happens with barbecue. When you barbecue a shoulder, and you get to that stalling period where it stalls out on you about 170 or so, about 165, 170, and you're, you're waiting a whole hour and the, and the temperature doesn't go up. That is the point at which the collagen is converting to gelatin and that that meat is softening and all that tough connective tissue is broken down. So with a pig's head, it's loaded. With all I will starve to death listening to this podcast. <laughs> all right. Speaking of speaking of barbecue, before we wrap up, I do want to touch on the the lachina, the cachina, yeah, right, cachina. But mm-hmm. uh, before uh, we're getting kind of technical, and I was going to bring us back around to well, you know, uh, we're, I'm just going to have to take out the, the beginning rant part of the podcast and uh, go for the just get the extra material, and you guys keep going. Uh, I'll, I'll worry was, about editing this. I'm 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 on the edge of my seats. So I just want to shut up and listen. Uh, I thought we could talk about uh, some drying or some jerking techniques yeah, or recipes. Well, I did want to recommend that, um, you know, especially for you guys, you know, getting out there and and want to be equipped to endure and you want to, you know, the survival methods and things. Um, if you can get your hands on some meat in that kind of situation, your best bet is going to be to jerk that meat. Uh, ha 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 ha. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, did, 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 you, did you hear the snicker? 
Yeah, uh, he just went there. Yeah, you know, that's one of the there. reasons I love Mus is he beats me to my own shtick. Yeah, I knew you were going there, buddy. <laughs> um, so yeah, but the thing is with jerky, it's really easy to make, and you know you can get away because you dry it completely out. Uh, bacteria has a real, real tough time growing on that stuff, and so you don't really need the nitrite uh, per se. It's it's nice to have it uh, for that X, for that period of time where you're actually drying the meat and over fire, it takes a little while. The nitrite is a nice, uh, thing to have. So what I'm saying is if you just, I make up, I make up a batch of cure and you know, when you guys get your hands on some of these Mariansky books, you'll be able to come up. They have all kinds of basic cures, the rate per, proper ratio of salt, sugar, and what they call TCM or tinted cure mix, which is the actual nitrite. Now is that is that also referred to as a brine? No, well that's a dry cure. That's a dry so cure. Brine okay. is wet. Brine is wet. A cure is dry. Okay, so gotcha. Separate it like that. Um, so like uh, one one uh, to, to go to the say with the jerky. So if you keep this mix kind of like mixed up in your in your bottom of your pack, you know, and you can just kind of and you can put any black pepper, juniper. Uh, dry oregano, any kind of seasonings you want. You put chili pepper in it if you like it spicy. Um, and then usually in my like cook kit, I'll usually keep like little thing of soy sauce, some you know uh, Worcestershire sauce, stuff like that. That's that's perfect to make a quick marinade to to say you know smoke dry some meat over a fire. Um, you, you're basically just going to mix up a little bit of that cure and moisten it with the soy sauce and Worcestershire sauce, and then you know, toss the thinly sliced meat in that marinade and let it sit for a little while in there and kind of to absorb it. You don't need that much. It shouldn't be swimming in it. it just, you just need enough marinade so that, and toss the meat in it so that the marinade almost disappears and the meat absorbs it. And then you can take it and you can thread that stuff up on sticks and make yourself a little makeshift like, you know, a hanger. You could even use the inside strand off your 550 or whatever and kind of thread it up like you do like, you know, ornaments at Christmas or something and, and hang that up above your fire where it's not going to get cooked, cooked, but it's going to be allowed to dry and smoke dry. Um, you can also set up, you know, a little teepee style tent if you had an extra tarp or you, know, you could even use a jacket or something like that. You got to be real careful and watch it real close, obviously, so that you're not, you know, burning yourself up or burning up your, your tarp or whatever. Hey, um, hey Todd, I got a I got a quick question for you. We'll do this kind of live on the on the internet. Um, we only have an hour for our normal show, but what we can do if you want to stay extra, we can do a little bonus extra, guys, for you, those of you guys on the Equipped Indoor website. And uh, so we'll have you know an extra session session. So if you guys listen to the this on the Equipped Indoor website, just stay tuned. We're gonna go past our hour. For those of you guys listening to it on the uh, our uh, blog talk radio, we got you know they limit us to an hour. And we can't go past that, so uh, just tune okay. into the website and you can listen to more. Because I want to get into some specific recipes if you are able to do that. And, and Robbie, I know you have like two thousand questions to ask Todd, or, or not. I'm sorry, I was just typing in the chat window about <laughs> specific questions <laughs> I wanted to ask Todd. <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the drool like shorted out my microphone, and I had to I had to plug a new one in. That's exactly what happened. So does that sound does that sound like a plan, guys? Yeah. Todd, do you still have, you, have, yeah. you still have some time for us? 
I, I can give I can give you a few more minutes. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys, we're, we're going to cut it there for our, our normal listeners. Guys, thanks for uh, uh, tuning in. Uh, make sure you guys check out the website, equippedindoor.com. Remember, member, membership to the website is cheap as $0.09 cents a day. Uh, actually, I think we can do $9 a year if you if you sign up an, annually through the Fair Play Network. So uh, jump with that. I shouldn't say cheap. I should say inexpensive, right, Robbie? There you go. I know, I know. I, I know I can't. I'm not going to go back and edit that now. Uh, and also, guys, that's cost effective. Also, guys, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and uh, like us on Facebook and all that other stuff stuff and uh dan i think that we need to get some uh you know dan's uh outdoor kitchen and have todd there and you guys need to do some recipes i'd love to see some videos on that i'm already thinking about a way to get him up i've got two cameras lined up so when the weather warms up a little bit we can start shooting it all makes sense to me now why you want to be back down south like before (laughs) i wasn't buying anything else but it all makes sense now can can we can e2e uh have a a a actual cameraman there that would be that would be I, I think I, a good idea. I, I would love that. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Either either I, you or, or or cameraman Mark. No, no. It was, <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he is a husky ginger. He loves to eat. So you. Might I know. To, he, I know he loves to. He probably has to, his ankles correct. off. You might and, have to bless Mark's heart, but uh, no, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> Rank has privilege. Yeah, I guess. Well, you guys, thanks, when it comes to eating. thanks for uh, for tuning in. If you have any questions for us, you can email us at po- a podcast at equippedindoor.com. And Todd, what is your contact information in case people want to stop by and say hi and uh, you know come to your restaurant? Um, you can you can reach me at uh, Todd T O D D at unsukay dot com. And that's uh, that's my parent company for overall our restaurants. And if you're in the Atlanta area, uh, check out Local Three, uh, Common Corner, Muss and Turners. Uh, I'd say Eleanor's, but you just got to figure that one out on your own. Uh, yeah, it's fun to figure out, isn't it? Yeah, behind the freezer door. Exactly. Very, very, very classy spot. I loved it. All right, guys. So, Adam, per- yes, sir. But before you get off, I just want to go ahead and say, add what I'm going to ask Todd in the private section so people may know whether they want to uh, listen to it or not first thing i'm going to ask todd is what the top 10 ingredients seasoning spices whatever that every outdoorsman should have in his kit Ah. to be able to cook well in the woods Mm, i like that all right guys that's gonna do it for the uh the normal show todd thank you very much again i really appreciate it it's been awesome todd was brought to you by dogwood custom knives (laughs) and live fire gear (laughs) Check out DogCustomLives.com and also LiveFireGear.com for LiveFireGear LLC. You guys take care. Be safe out there. And remember, if you're not always prepared, you're never prepared. Thanks.